This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week for episode 363, two silent comic books lost to the ether on Amazon.com, Paul Jaceley. Hey there, humanoids. And Nick White. Hey. We are here today to talk about a very special time in Marvel Comics. It's quote unquote the Nuff Said event. But I guess before we get into that, I've got one announcement and then we're going to talk about comic books. We have a live episode coming up on March 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be there. Be square. It's going to be on Twitch.tv, only on Twitch.tv. Last time we did like a dual broadcast on YouTube and Twitch. I decided that's too much. I hate the YouTube delay. Let's just go with Twitch. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's Twitch.tv slash IRCB podcast. Come harass us and ask us some questions about comics, about life, about the multiverse, whatever. Just be there be live it's going to be a lot of fun twitch.tv slash ircb podcast you can click follow now to get notifications about when we're going to be going live we don't have to do subscriptions over there it's just like a place you can come see our faces you can see my wonderful comic book shelf behind me that's full of a ton of manga megan mog comics and then a bunch of individual comics that you'll never be able to tell are there except for maybe the usagi Ojimbo ones but anyways let's get into things let's talk about comic books so i have those two legally mandated questions that i need to ask and i'm always going to say that from now on because apparently the ai thinks we are a political podcast every time i drop our show in how have you been how have comic books been let's start with you paul hey mike i'm doing well um i don't want to step on nick's toes but uh i'll do the west michigan weather watch today uh it is a beautiful sunny uh early march day here in michigan i don't think it's going to last more than today but uh luckily all the snow that we got little bit over the weekend is melted um and it's probably upper 40s right now and the sun is shining i can't wait to finish recording and then go on a walk to a bar to sit inside it's a perfect <laughs> spring day for me <laughs> amazing as far as comics go i read a couple comics that i think i enjoyed uh they're very good comics but maybe something about them didn't click maybe talking about talking through them here on the show i can kind of uh unpack what i what i mean by that uh first okay. thing i want to talk about is um the fourth issue of Doctor Strange Fall Sunrise. This is the mini series that Trad Moore is writing and illustrating. Uh, colors by Heather Moore. And uh, I think I talked about the first issue of this a while back on the show. It is a beautiful comic. Of course, it's Trad Moore artwork. It's about Stephen Strange in this alternate sort of dimension. It's a very psychedelic book. It's a book where Marvel should just print out poster size versions of some of these pages and sell them at head shops as blacklight posters. Mm -hmm, I mean, it's just mm -hmm. so vibrant colors, trippy artwork. Uh, as far as the story goes, I have no idea what is happening in this book. I, since <laughs> issue one, perfect. There's some, perfect. There's some sort of, uh, task that Stephen Strange has to complete, a message he has to deliver. Um, he has brief flashbacks to his previous life that he doesn't remember fully. There's a huge, beautiful fight scene in this book between Stephen Strange and these like giant monsters that takes place over the two double-page spread, all in these little panels. It's such a visually stunning book. I do want to go back and reread it, kind of piece together what the story is, but it's so strange to love a book, but have kind of just be underwhelmed by the story because i cannot tell what is happening <laughs> but again i don't know if that's the point it's a tread more book it looks beautiful it does remind right, right. me of the early steve ditko dr strange stories where Stephen strange is always going to these weird alternate dimensions fighting the mindless ones it's all very trippy and psychedelic artwork and that's kind of mm -hmm. what i like about dr strange 
I'm so I'm giving this book a recommendation with the giant caveat. If you want a clear narrative, this is not the book for you. If you like <laughs> Treadmore and you like Doctor Strange being psychedelic and strange, living up to his name, uh, this is a fantastic book. So I'm going to awesome. go back and reread this. I have to imagine they're going to do like a nice collected edition at some point because it is such a lovely book. But uh, yeah, there it is. You know, this is so interesting because I was really, really hyped for this book and then completely forgot about it. Like, I remember yeah. seeing the cover for issue one and being like, hell yeah, let's see what Tradmore is going to do. Thinking this guy's art has gotten really, really, really out there to go from yeah. early days of Luther Strode, which is where I first encountered his art to modern mm -hmm. day, seeing his Silver Surfer work that he did. And then to see the preview art on this book. Yeah, it's a total journey of like. The guy is, I, I don't want to say like deteriorating, but like the the linearness and the straightforwardness of his art is slowly dissipating, but yes. like in all the best ways. Like it's yes. truly more art than story. And I kind mm -hmm. of love that. Like I really vibe with that and I want to see this book, but I don't think that like I want to own the single issues. I think I'll probably get this <laughs> as a collection as like a nice coffee table book. Yes. If they ever do like an oversized version of this, this would be perfect to just be like, hey, you want to see some cool stuff and just like open up pages to this book. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a tremendous comic book. I really, really like it. I just want to, you know, the thing is like, I couldn't tell you what the story is. And again, I don't think sure. that's, I don't think that's a problem for a book like this. It is yeah. truly a work of art and it does tell a story. There's a narrative direction and like there's a nice conclusion at the end where Dr. Stephen Strange kind of like comes back to his senses, kind of like finishes the journey, remembers who he is. So there, there mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. a narrative flow, um, but it really is a book just to be sat down and just like taken in panel by panel, just visually to let it wash over you. Awesome. Well, I look forward to eventually checking it out, but have we seen more write and draw books before or is this the, this the first time because i was thinking back to luther strode but wasn't that justin jordan yeah that was justin <laughs> jordan i think he did he was like a co-writer i think on a silver surfer black book that he did with uh donny cates um and again that book was had some very trippy moments like it has a bit more of a straightforward narrative because like I'm going to summon Danny to the chat with this, but like, no is the <laughs> core of the book, you know? And it's like, it's a venom symbiote from a bajillion years ago, like whatever. Oh, but God. Trad Moore, I think does was allowed a lot of freedom to just like draw cool stuff featuring silver surfer. Right. Yeah. But as far as like a work that he's only done by himself, I don't know of much else, but I'm not super plugged in on his creative, creative stuff. So may maybe this is one of those books where when I'm, you know, like trying to, summon up examples where this whole myth that like artists need a writer which is like you know stupid because uh -oh. there are plenty of artists who can totally write for themselves maybe this is not one of the better examples maybe this is not a feather in the cap of that argument is that what i'm <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i'm just saying that the the way this story is told hmm. is visual versus narratively explained there's very little dialogue sure and there's very little captions uh, and i don't think gotcha. that's a failure of more as a writer i just think that's the way he's telling the choosing to tell the story mm -hmm. okay okay all right yeah that that does frame things a little bit differently cool well nick what about you how have you been how have comic books been um things have been good i uh this is the first race weekend for f1 so uh i'm not gonna put this out into the universe except i guess i am if you're listening live uh if you if you spoil the race uh you're banned 
You're banned. <laughs> full ban. Full I gave suspension. Nick that power. On, on the days of F1 races, he can yeah. ban anyone from yeah. the Discord. And I, I mean like all spoilers. If you tell me that there were cars on the track, spoiler. If you tell me that someone won the race, don't do that. Okay? Yeah. These are spoilers. Let me... Hugh in the chat is saying, didn't you spoil a game for them? Oh, I mean, probably. <laughs> Oops. So I think, I think what they're saying is they have one. They get one. So we'll see, Nick. We'll see. Um, otherwise, uh, things have been good. I'm recovering from a self-inflicted wound last night. I was eating some good and plenties, which was definitely a bad way to start kick things off. <laughs> I still got good and plenties on the brain, folks. And uh, I uh, apparently I don't even know how to eat food. And I um, took a chunk out of my cheek. So, uh, oh, no. yep, just thought I was biting down on a good and plenty. And it was... Um, my own body. <laughs> it wasn't good nor plenty. I guess, it was. Right? <laughs> uh, it was neither. So, um, yeah, definitely some wild times. Uh, also, <laughs> been reading some comics in between. <laughs> in between, not knowing how to eat food. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> one of these books was uh, Phantom Road, uh, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Gabriel H. Walta, uh, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Steve Wands. And honestly, like my gut takeaway from this book is that if I removed the credits page and I redacted the names on the cover and I asked you to read the book, I realized there are a lot of steps to this now. Mm-hmm. You've damaged my book. I can't get this graded now, by the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if I asked you to guess who the creative team is, I'm not so sure that you would say this is a either a Lemire book or a Walter Walter book, honestly. Sure. And if that sounds like an insult, it's not. Like obviously I've been reading and enjoying Jeff Lemire's work for over a decade, followed him across multiple publishers, I've seen him work on original stuff and pre-existing franchises. And yeah, I've gotten familiar with his way of doing things, but while familiarity does breed contempt, I think that I think that this book is actually like a real step away from what I've seen from both. The book follows a trucker named Dom, and we sort of follow him through his usual trucker routine, refueling at gas stations, stopping at Greasy Spoon Diners for a sandwich, getting his coffee topped off, and of course, hours and hours behind the wheel of his big rig. Uh, do do people say big rig? Is that a thing? Like, uh, I mean, you said it, so. You just did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like is is that like the trucker word where real truckers immediately identify trucker posers by like if they're like, oh, I've got my big rig outside. I don't well, all know. The, all the trucker listeners out there, write us in. Tell us what you call your yeah. your big rig, your hog. But I don't know what you call it. Right? <laughs> oh wow, we just opened the door to oh. some real interesting things. Uh, that is not going to be a ten four, good buddy. That's the <laughs> oh boy. We are going to get some real Smokey and the Bandit sure. uh, comments on this for sure now. And, of course, it is a Lemire book, so there is, like, some family trauma, family discord going on. We find out that Dom's dad was also a trucker and kind of left the family alone for, you know, days and weeks. And anyway, so the book starts out like that, and it's very day-to-day, very normal trucker routine stuff. And then it's not. And I'm not going to get into it because I'm not even sure I can explain what happens. Sure. But this book gets weird. Right. And it's confusing and it's disorienting. And you're left kind of wondering, is this book taking a fantasy sort of shift or a sci-fi shift or like some weird 
creepy horror shift. I don't know. And I think that that's good. And honestly, like only writers like Lemire, where you've made a name for yourself and you can end sort of a first issue on this weird ambiguity. Like, I feel like that's only something that like big established writers can do now. I feel like so many other writers trying to make a name for themselves. There's so many unwritten rules and pressures about what you do and don't do for a first issue that like ambiguity is not one of those things. I feel like, like the modern number one issue has to be like very clear cut about what's happening, where it's going, what it's doing, setting up a uh, trajectory for the book. And I don't know where the fuck this is going. And that's great. That's great. Mm -hmm. I I love it. Walta's artwork feels a little bit, I don't know, more grounded. It almost feels like flat in ways that seem almost to mirror a Franco-Belgian aesthetic. Maybe I just don't look at enough Walta books. Well, I I think compared to from the books that i've read right because i also read this issue it was the top of my pile last week how dare you steal this from me nick just saying that yeah um but uh i I think walta's art in this book used a simpler inking style that's the only difference Mm. right like i feel like the coloring's the same i feel like the way i mean obviously we had a different colorist i think um depending on the book but uh yeah jordy belair i mean but jordy knows what she's doing right like we don't have to worry about that so i think the the thing that made this book stand out to me though is even the more quote-unquote horrific elements the unknown the strange elements of this book were drawn with less detail than i think i would expect from walta and i like that like it, it added this uncertainty is this real is this not real to the book and i i love that i like this book was a surprising hit for me even though i said last week after sentient i don't know guys i just don't know <laughs> which maybe that was a bit too far i know i got like i dragged a little bit on discord about that so still i i thought this was really good totally agree with you like there is a a a, a more senior like writer style here that they that lemire is going with that maybe newer creators can't get away with as easily i don't want to say that it's like all number ones start that way. But I feel like a slew of number ones we've seen from Image have followed this specific pattern that you were kind of talking about, Nick, where only where Lemire is just like, no, I'm going to do this. It's it's all vibes. Good luck. That's the first issue. Yeah. And for me, like the real unspoken hero in this book is really Belair's color work. Sure. The way that you've got like these grays and black tones at like the 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 gas station or while he's in the the big rig, right? The big rig driving, uh-huh. driving around. Um, and then sort of the reds and blacks that appear when he ends up at the accident site. I won't right. specify it any more than that. Or sure. even just the really bright, like almost like you almost sort of feel like you're Dom, right? When you, when he goes into the gas station and he goes into the, into the bathroom and you're so used to all these dark tones and suddenly you're in this super bright, like fluorescent bathroom and that just, it's just the panels are so overwhelmingly bright and you almost need a moment to adjust. And yet there's still unnerving things throughout, whether it's like the weird dude trying to sell him pills outside of the place or that really unnerving guy in the bathroom who like yeah. was like singing a song or whatever yeah love that kind of creepy stuff you know love going to a gas station on the highway yeah there's definitely what i feel are some twin peaks vibes in this book and i know that that's like <laughs> you know i realize that's like the 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 trigger the sensor for for paul to immediately latch on to things and i try not to abuse that privilege but uh 
Nick, I think like, there's... Nick, I've read so many books you've recommended, mainly yeah. by Jeff Lemire, that you've made that comparison too. So yeah. I guess I mean, so it's not, <laughs> not unusual. Notice that Paul was polite enough to not comment on what he thought about those books that he, <laughs> I made him read. He was just like, I, I read them. I read them. They did exist and I did read them. Um, I like the idea that you said if you didn't, if you removed the, the uh, creative team from this book and handed it to me, I wouldn't know who wrote it. But because you're handing me a comic, Nick, I know exactly who wrote it. It's <laughs> a joke I was going to make. Statistically, 82.3% <laughs> chance right. Right. it's Jeff I'm, Lemire. Yeah. I am curious about this. Uh, um, this is definitely a wait-for-trade book for me, but I, I probably will check yeah. out the first volume when it comes out. Uh, well, for me, I've been I've been weirdly busy trying to plan a D&D one-shot for someone's birthday, which means that I spent way too much time on it. I have to, I'm incorporating, I don't think the, this person's going to listen to this episode, so like I have to somehow incorporate like Pokemon into it, which is a whole deep dive because like I love Pokemon. So I'm like, I got to get this right. And if it's not right, I'm going to hate it. Um, so I haven't read a lot of comics, um, except for yesterday. I did read a bunch, but either way, that was because I was, I told Nick last week after we finished the show that I was going to get caught up on that Texas blood. And you know what? I made a big fuss. I made a big fuss. Listen, Nick just kept (laughs) sending me pictures of like knives and it was just like, are you reading it? And I was like, whoa, Nick, whoa. Um, (laughs) But I did read that Texas blood volumes two and three. This is Chris Condon art by Jacob Phillips. We have praised this show, this book to death on this show. I understand that. Um, But my first note is, I mean, come on with this series. (laughs) I, I feel it's very rare to sit down with a trade and not feel like like after you've read that first issue, like like you've eaten a, a full sandwich, right? Like and you're you're like satisfied and that's it. Te- that Texas blood leaves you both satisfied and wanting so much more out of it because Condon has done this thing where everything is so well paced. You're getting these microcosms of the past of this character, uh, Joe Bob uh, Coates. And. As much as I love each of these stories, I want 150 more issues of this story just to hear about this guy's life. And like, it's a story about a cop in Texas. So you come into this book, me as an, an East Coast elite, with a lot of preconceived <laughs> notions of Texas. Sorry, Danny, we love you to death. Um, but <laughs> Texas and cops and all this other stuff. And I think Condon does a great job of not trying to say like, don't worry, not all cops, but also saying this is a story about a man who happens to be a cop. Um, And I I like that distinction in the story because it's repeated over and over throughout the second and third volume that this guy, Joe Bob, is a member of this community who happens to be in a position of police authority. And he's doing all that he can to do the right thing by the people. Sometimes that's a slight abuse of his power. Sometimes that's disobeying direct orders from his, you know, his seniors. Um, And I think through that, it all just shows that he genuinely cares about the community that he lives in. Now, that isn't anything to say the horror elements and the weird spooky elements of this book. There's this question of, is there something quote unquote cursed about this city that they live in? And I love that question and how it's not answered throughout the book. It's kind of like this mystery box that exists. Someone put out the idea, but we're never going to touch it again unless it absolutely comes back to someone in the town bringing it up because Joe Bob, I don't think actually believes that that's real. Um, so the second volume covers a really kind of dark cult story, which like, I love because for some reason, those types of stories are really entertaining to me. The second one covers a serial killer, which if I'm being completely honest, um, really threw me because in my mind, despite all of the bad things that have happened in that Texas blood, 
I didn't want anything bad to happen to these people in the town, right? Like it's it's a really weird thing to think about. Um, but the fact that like someone gets killed in the get go from issue one, right? Like that's the opener. It feels like a perfect slasher film from like the late nineties. Um, and I. I don't know, like I was cr- like cringing the whole book in, in a good way, like enjoying the book, worried about what's going to happen to these people, like who's going to get taken next? What's going to happen? Who is this guy? Are they going to solve the murder? Because it's the 90s, right? Like this, all this, this story and second volume are all flashbacks as we just get to peek into the life of Joe Bob Coates. And I, I'm like flustered that they don't bring it back to the present day by the end of the third volume. But I also yeah. don't ever want to leave Joe Bob's past and learn more and more about this character because I, the more I read about him, the more I love him and the more I start thinking in my head, well, like as a, a thing, like that's a word <laughs> that I say. So, um, yeah, Nick, I'm very mad that you didn't bully me to read this sooner. I'm just going to say that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the and, last and thing now I'll, we have to wait. And now, now we, we have, have to wait, wait probably yeah. another year. Yeah. Right. But you know what? Hopefully we'll get a volume of Newburn in between this. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'm happy to trade Texas blood, that Texas blood for Newburn with Chip Zdarsky. <laughs> so fingers crossed. Um, nice. Speaking of Jacob Phillips in that regard, uh, Jacob Phillips, top notch volume three, some of the best work I've ever seen him do. Some of the color work in this volume alone is massively impressive there are moments where the snow in quotes is supposed to be like taking over everything in the city and rather than doing that thing that i think some artists do where they draw like dots and dashes to like obscure the view of what's happening in the panel phillips just brightens everything he just adds a layer of white on of whitewash on top of everything and i think it's it's a really smart combination of adding physical like or physical drawings and increasing just like the the texture of the book to try to show like the chaos and the fogginess of what's happening. It, it's really, really genius, especially with the mystery of this serial killer whodunit business. Um, yeah, I don't know. I This is just a such a well done book. And it's so rare to see to have so many good books coming out at one time and to see like this book shining above all the others when i compare them like what would i rather read another volume of saga another volume of that texas blood and spoilers i think it's that texas blood because at least that texas blood doesn't make me feel like i'm like i'm not screaming at the page because i hated something or i loved something so i don't know maybe that's not a ringing endorsement but i love this book i totally blown away can't wait for 2024 when the next volume comes out (laughs) Yeah, it's it's tremendous. And I do like the fact that somehow with volumes two and three, it does basically become a horror comic, like exceptionally well done horror comic. Yeah. And that yeah. volume three with the serial killer storyline, that's as close to capturing the tone of like John Carpenter's Halloween I've seen on a comics page. It's that simplicity, totally. slow pace that is, is not boring or not. It's just it's so well done. Yeah. Like that moment where you see the the killer like open the window frame and he's got that mask on and he's got those <laughs> it's both funny and it's terrifying and i think the fact that it's funny makes it more terrifying yeah. are those blue gloves he's got those ridiculous <laughs> blue gloves on and you're yeah. like this is both really funny and scary at the same time <laughs> yeah oh yeah, it's, god it's quite a volume um yeah. but yeah i guess paul what else you've been reading we're gonna be talking <laughs> about comic books all day i know <laughs> Well, that's what we do here on I Read Comic Books Podcast dot com. Yes, I read the first issue of Blue Book. This is a new series by James Tini the Fourth and Michael Avon Oming. Letters by Aditya Bidkar. I'm getting big yeah. thumbs up on the uh, video chat here from Mike. So I guess you enjoyed this book too. I really enjoyed this. I will say there's not a lot of surprises here. 
which isn't necessarily a bad thing, not necessarily criticism. The title, Blue Book, with the cover, it's clear it's an alien abduction story. I've seen, again, mm-hmm. I've watched Twin Peaks, so I know about Project Blue Book. And <laughs> <laughs> alien invasion. Were you a big X-Files kid, Paul? Was that I was a, not. Was I was not you? a big, never been into X-Files. Okay. So, But this book has more of a uh, Twilight Zone kind of vibe. It's set in 1961. It's about a couple, um, uh, Betty and Barney Hill, who are traveling uh, in these like empty places between... Uh, Montreal, where they're on vacation to their home in New Hampshire. It's late at night and they see this strange object in the sky. And the, the whole comic is them trying to like rationalize, oh, it must be something like an airplane or it must be someone playing a prank, it must be a kite, weather balloon. Uh, no, it gets, and by the end of the issue, they have sort of basically an encounter. Uh, Barney Hill has a moment where he kind of comes face to face with what appears to be aliens. So again, it's really well done. It's expertly paced. I love Michael Oming's artwork, especially in this, the way this is colored, where it just uses white, black, and blue. Not only captures the feeling of being alone in an empty street at night, but it also feeds into the title of the book, the blue book. I love all of that. But again, like by the end of the issue, it's like, oh yes, it's clearly just going to be about alien abduction. I'm hoping that right. it goes somewhere else. Again, James Tini is such a good writer and does horror type sci-fi comics so well that I'm sure there's going to be a twist down the road. And I think there is something going on here with the fact that it's 1961 and the main protagonists are like an African-American couple traveling at night by themselves. Right. Right. But this is based on a true story though. Oh my God. Is it? I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. This is widely (laughs) regarded to be like the first UFO. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, like, Paul. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Paul, you're, okay. you're in for a ride because I know yeah. this story. I've heard I've heard plenty, plenty of podcasts about it. I've read about it because apparently I like UFOs, even though that stuff scares the shit out of me. Project Blue <laughs> Book is technically based on, I mean, Tinian, I think, is taking a different vibe from it. There's yeah. an interview you can listen to that he did with the guys at Last Podcast on the left where uh-huh. they talk about like his approach to this story because he wanted to tell a true to life story. So it's very different than his regular books, but okay. he yeah. also him and him and a Oving or Oming de- are both like into alien stuff. So they wanted to kind of put their own, I think vibe on the stories that the Hills tell about what happened. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Paul, okay. I think you're in okay. for, if you keep reading the twists that you will see are things that are like already documented, but it is still a really interesting story. Okay. Yeah. I had no idea. Well, that actually makes it a lot more interesting to me. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I will. I will avoid <laughs> looking up "quote unquote" spoilers uh, and uh, maybe just 50, stick with his books. Seventy years, fifty, sixty-year-old spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Real life. Real life is the greatest spoiler of the world. <laughs> real life spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, but no, I'm I, glad I'm glad you dug it though because it's yeah. it's a really cool book and I think it's a it's a really interesting story to read. Absolutely, again, Tinian is doing some amazing horror comics. I loved Nice House on the Lake. I've always liked Oming's artwork here. It's it's so well done the way he uses blacks and shadows in this book. Um, there is that cool backup story as well. There's like a short backup story written by Tinian with art by Klaus Jansen, mm-hmm. which looks fantastic. It's like a flashback, again, another assumingly based on a true story. I guess now I have to assume that it's called True Weird. It's about a kid seeing a flying man on the beach at Coney Island. There's also this weird subtext about this uh, hotel on Coney Island that's shaped like an elephant. And that's a real hotel that did exist and did burn down. Um, I do really like Klaus Jansen's artwork, of course. It's it's very different because it's all black and white, like this very distinctive Klaus Jansen ink work. And then he uses that cool like screen tone, like zip tones for all the texture and stuff on the page. Sick. I really dug that. So yeah, overall, it's a great issue. Um, I'm actually way more invested knowing now it's based on a true story. So I'm in. I, I mean, guess. I don't know if True Weird is based on a true story, but I yeah, know that exactly. Blue Book yeah. is. Yeah. 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 Okay. Gotcha. 
that makes sense. Well, yeah, cool. Thanks for that info. Of course. Oh man, I'm now I'm super jazzed to hear what you think about the future <laughs> issues, Paul. So like I as as I've been I've been subscribing to Tinian's uh, Substack for a while. So like yeah. these issues came out like last year through his Substack, um, and I read the first two issues. I like already knew the story, so I was like, uh, I guess it's just the same UFO story. But I I <laughs> probably should go back and like reread the whole thing because I'm sure that their take is is very interesting. And I know they're yeah. starting the second year of Blue Book. I think there's more story that they're going to tell with that. So cool. Um, cool. Yeah. I'm, anyways, curious to hear your thoughts in the future yeah, as this book sure. comes out. Um, Nick, anything else that you've read you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just briefly cover this because I think everyone knows that if Ice Cream Man comes out, of course, I'm going to talk about it. But uh, um, I did mm-hmm. read Ice Cream Man 34, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Morazzo, colors by Chris O'Halloran, letters by good old Neon. I know people are probably really sick of hearing about this book, especially because I try to not spoil this book. But honestly, this is one of the best issues I've read of this series, probably of the last last 10, last 12 issues. This is probably the best issue that's come out. Dang. Um, It follows this uh, pair of, uh, quote unquote, two tramps. That's the name of the the the, the title of the book as well. Sure. You're following these two. um what's the correct terminology hobos the ones who you know you jump on the train and the train takes you around and you you have the little knapsack over your over your shoulder is hobo the right term i mean i I there there's probably a more correct word for that i don't know yeah these people who utilize mass transportation we'll just say that uh (laughs) perfect so you're sort of following them around as they go, as they ride the rails and they go from city to city and they, they never stay anywhere for more than a week. And they're just swapping stories with each other to pass the time. And you have this ever present recurring prompt between them uh, and the people they meet uh, and the other rail riders that, that uh, go along with them of quote, what's the craziest thing you ever heard? And of course, this is an Ice Cream Man book, so we know that that will go to some uncomfortable and weird places. Right. We've got 33 issues of potentially weirdest things that people have ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, so we learn about their code and their rules and sort of the tactics that they use to find food or get to the next city or sort of stay ahead of the law if the law is coming after them. But uh Things are not going to go real well because our old friend uh, Ice Cream Man is driving the train, uh, like quite literally amazing driving the train. <laughs> and it's a it's a really beautiful issue about just sort of just just a friendship between two people uh, and sort of how they, you know, interact and, and get along with each other. It's 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 really, really good. Uh, it's really heartwarming. I think it's a it's a. It's a stellar issue that has really kind of hits on that, I guess, main point we've seen in recent Ice Cream Man issues, which is at the beginning of Ice Cream Man, I felt like it was a lot of, well, everything is bad and everything's pretty irrevocably fucked and everything's terrible and pretty depressing. And the last half of this series, I would say a lot of it's been, yeah, there's a lot of shittiness in the world. Um, there's a lot of things that you can kind of just let ruin your day or your month or your year or however the Friends theme song goes. But uh, there's also some good out there and you just have to look for it and and just sort of recognize it. I think that this issue really hammers that more even keeled mantra for this book 
uh, hmm. lately, and there is a big reveal. Nick, at the end, oh, of we're this never issue. We're, this minisode. We're you're going to record in like 2025, so yeah. like I, yeah, you can't say <laughs> things big like that to me. Reveal. You can't say things big, like big, that to big, me. big reveal. Oh my god, <laughs> the ice cream man is lactose intolerant. Never would have guessed. <gasps> oh no. <laughs> All right. Well, let me let me talk about one more book. Uh, yeah, Nick, I know you've got do. one more, too. So let's let's try to get I'll try to get through this pretty quick. I read Broken Gambit number one. This is also on the top of my pile last week because I broke my own damn rules. Uh, Stephanie Phillips on writing Carlos Gomez on art colors by David Curiel. You know, I don't know what I expected out of this book other than hoping it wouldn't be as abysmal as that Claremont Gambit book. But this was just OK. Funny enough, the trade paperback collection for that Gambit book is coming out this week. And guess who's buying it? Me, because I'm a sucker. <laughs> Anyways, the thing about this story is it feels like it really, really, really doesn't want to be wrapped up in any of the business of the X-Men in the Krakoan era, despite being about X-Men and relying on all the bits of the established lore of the Krakoan era. So we've got Destiny, and she says, Rogan Gambit, you've got to go save, get this guy Manifold, who's part of the, sh he's up in space, and because he's important, and they go, why? And she goes, I'm Destiny, and then leaves. <laughs> and so, of course, it's just Rogan Gambit teaming up to go capture their friend minor spoilers like somebody wants to control mutants and only gambit and rogue can stop them um and of course things go awry and you've got to read the book to kind of get the details of it but it's it's a classic like just we're teaming up we've got some small problems because apparently their relationship is on the rocks even though it was just recently fixed like <laughs> not even too long ago um uh... but anyways gomez and curiel's art is very solid this is like the kind of bright fun comics that rogue and gambit should be like intentionally goofy expressions a lot of them being like lovey-dovey and stuff it's the kind of thing that i would want out of a rogue and gambit book but it's not this book by no means is it doesn't feel very like special like this doesn't feel like it's like the kelly thompson book I, that's like the highest bar i have to com compare to and i feel bad comparing the two books because they came out at very different times in very different situations but you know if you're going to put out a rogue and gambit book it feels like if you're going to put out a book in general, it feels like it should have some impact. And from what I got from issue one, this book just seems like a book that has Rogan Gambit in the title and they needed to, they just wanted to put out another Rogan Gambit story. Maybe that's an insult to Stephanie Phillips, but I don't mean it to be. It's just like, I need more substance out of this book as a Rogan Gambit fan. Anyways, I'm not going to stop reading. I'm really excited to just see what shenanigans things will get up to. Maybe by the end of this issue, we'll actually see some lasting stuff. But if I'm not mistaken, and again, minor spoilers for X of Swords, maybe, or something. Some, one, of, one of those X-Men events. I thought Gambit died. So, like, <laughs> I don't know. Don't know how things tie up. Again, this uh, feels like a book that doesn't want to be in the X-Men business, despite being all about the X-Men. So we'll see where it goes. I'm also picking up the X-23 book that's coming out next week. That's just like a flashback series by Erica Schultz. <laughs> it, it, it feels like people are tired of the X-Men Krakoan era, and I won't stand for it. I can't wow. stand it. Just because Claremont did it doesn't mean everybody else gets to do it. That's all I'm saying. Um, anyway, Nick, what, what other book did you read? I, I, otherwise, I'm going to I'm going to get even more heated. Well, we'll just briefly go into Nick's ma manga corner here. Uh-oh. <laughs> briefly, Nick. <laughs> the book that I want to briefly discuss is called Colorless. Isn't that every manga, Nick? Yes, good I joke. Mean... <laughs> Show yourself the door. Um, <laughs> this is from Seven Seas, and it's written and drawn by Kent. Basically, it takes place on Earth in this uh, universe where the most massive solar flare in recorded history happens. It's called the Mercy Pulse. Uh, this, uh, 
a solar flare results in electromagnetic interference that basically erases all of man's digitized knowledge. And it also erases all color from the earth uh, and mm-hmm. mutates a fair amount of its humans, uh, mostly specifically their faces, uh, resulting in everybody more or less wearing masks. Yeah, I read a black hole. That sounds that was a good book. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's, all right. It's just fuck this book, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Uh, clearly you could go read Black Hole. Um, so that happens like 300 years ago. And so technology gets lost and humanity basically has to, is forced to rebuild and repair all of their old machines, which kind of creates this interesting technological hodgepodge. Uh, but this event also creates this energy called color, um, which basically matches or exceeds old technology. And it's this weird glowy green pale energy that's kept in vials and the book almost has like a greg rucka nicholas scott black magic feel and that obviously the book Mm. is mostly in black and white but then it has these little moments here and there where they show color right and Mm. um color quote as in the energy which is in color Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. so yeah it's sort of this uh that's sort of the framework that's set and we follow this guy named avidia who looks like the main character from dead space based on his armor and he's basically trying to like figure out what's happened to color because he's um, a researcher of something called chroma dynamics. And the long and short of it is he stumbles upon this uh, woman um, who gets kidnapped by this uh, group called the order, which has tried to deify color. Like they've turned it into a God. Hell basically. yeah. Uh, they kidnap her. And when he finds her, he discovers that she gasp has not been mutated. Her face looks normal and no humans have looked that way for over 300 years. So what's going on? Great art, really, really good action, uh, kind of like a fun sci-fi premise. Uh, and like I said, having like the little, you know, blips of color here and there kind of add an interesting touch to it. So uh, if you're looking for sort of an alternate post-apocalyptic um, sci-fi book that, uh, doesn't take itself too seriously. Like, is this is definitely like a 13 plus book, I would say. You know, it's not too dark. Um, people aren't going on, you know, terrible monologues about the evil of humanity for seven pages. Yeah. Um, if you're just looking for something interesting and fun, I, I would say check this out. Although this is seven C's. So the idea that at some point it will get exceedingly sexy for no particular reason, um, <laughs> it could happen. I mean, like, sorry, sorry, seven C's. Like your reputation precedes you. I refuse. I refuse that because I have bought plenty books from Seven Seas that never once go into the sexy territory. Next, so <laughs> okay. I refuse. I guess I've been buying the ones that do. I, oh, I accidentally bought all the books with the big yeah. boobies in it. Oh yeah. no! Oops! 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 Um, how does this keep happening? Yeah. Oh, I can't stop my hand from clicking buy now with one click on Amazon. Um, <laughs> um, let me let me talk about one last book before we get to our top of our sure. pile. Um, I read The Human Target, number 12. This is Tom King, Greg Smallwood, Clayton Coles. The end. It's over. Finally. 12 issues. It's finally over. Is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? I don't know. Um, This issue is weird because on the one hand, it's the thing that I want out of a lot of stories sometimes, which is a resolution, an epilogue, a a characters resolving all of the things and seeing how they like what the fallout of the actions of the primary story have on the characters who remain. Right. We know that Christopher Chance's whole deal is that in issue one, he drinks some poison and he's got 12 days to live. And this book has been stellar, like 
issue after issue after issue, weird stuff, corny stuff, some of the most beautiful drawings of people I've ever seen in my life by Greg Smallwood. Like it's, it's a wonder of a book. This last issue though, I felt like the weight of the entire series was evaporated, right? Like there was supposed to be something. I don't know what that is. I think I maybe need to reread the book, but I feel like by issue 10, like the weight of everything, once we got the mystery solved and we kind of got through some of the personal challenges of the characters, it felt like this book might have been two issues too long or something. And I, I can't really put my finger on it, but this ending didn't feel as impactful as I think the the last few pages wanted it to feel, uh, which is really annoying to me because I love, love, love where this book went and all the things that it did. It just felt like, I don't know, like I was just eating popcorn for dinner. Like it's definitely sustenance, but it's not filling. And maybe I need to reread the series, like I said, to get it. But um, maybe that I don't know, it just didn't just didn't hit me the way that I was hoping it would. I did not pick this up yet. So I'll let you know what I think when I finally get around to okay. it. So, yeah. <laughs> Hugh in the chat says, weird. I had popcorn for dinner last night. Um, well, you know, Nothing maybe it is that. a dinner food. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd be curious to hear what other people think. Maybe there's something that I missed or maybe I just was reading too fast as I was trying to blaze through comics yesterday. I don't know. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just I wanted like a little bit more. And maybe I just, again, I want to reread it because there's no bad reason to get more you know, Greg Smallwood art in your life. So anyways, let's let's talk about comics on the top of our pile, comics that are new, comics that are old. Got to know what are you reading next? So let's just dump, jump right into things with Paul. What's on the top of your pile? This might surprise some listeners, but on top of my pile this week is Fantastic Four number five. Um, Insane. <laughs> uh, this is, of course, the new Fantastic Four series written by Ryan North. Uh, art by Ivan Fiorelli, who's a different artist. Um, Ivan Coelho has been doing the issues up until now, uh, but I've actually really been enjoying this new Fantastic Four. I love the Fantastic Four in theory, but very rarely read Fantastic Four comics. Um, <laughs> right. Like most people, I think. That's, yes, that's exactly. how it works. I, I don't think that's unusual, but I do like what Ryan North is doing so far with this series. Uh, the first three issues we kind of focus on different members of the team. You know, first issue was about Ben and Alicia. Second issue was about um, uh, Sue and Reed. And the third issue was about Johnny Storm. And there was this thing mm. that, you know, something had happened that had driven them apart and had made the world not trust the Fantastic Four. And I like that North waited to the fourth issue to actually drop what that was. So that issue, we got the, the event that caused the team to sort of splinter, caused some tension between them and well as the public at large and the team. And this issue, we kind of got the team back to the band is back together. Um, and they're going to face their most feared foes of them all, right? Uh, Nick Scratch and Salem Seven, who, I mean... In infamous. The right, infamous Nick knows, Scratch. <laughs> everyone knows that classic <laughs> villain cleared by Len Wein back in 1977. Uh, Paul, who, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I, did, I did have to look up Nick Scratch and Salem Seven. It is a... Uh, Apparently, Nick Scratch is Agatha's daughter. What's her name? Agatha from what's her name? You know the the witch. Ag yeah, the, the woman from who was in the in the right. TV show that I won't I'm spoil. I guess on her last name, uh, Agatha so Harkness. That's Harkness. Her name. That's right. Uh, apparently, he's her daughter. Uh, he has magic powers. Part of a team called Salem Seven. Um, I don't know. I don't know much about that character, but I'm interested to learn more. Obviously, you got to wait for the big. Uh, <laughs> The funny thing about Fantastic Four is that according to the legacy numbers, this is issue like 698. So they're building up to the big issue 700. 
I'm sure that's when Doctor Doom is going to show up, or Galactus, or whoever. Oh, and it's like, oh yeah, Give that's me. what Come I want. <laughs> but the thing is, again, I love the Fantastic Four. I think Ryan North does a good job balancing the dynamics of the team. I like the way he writes Ben Grimm, who is, of course, my favorite Marvel character. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm enjoying the series. Um, I'm curious to see the different artists fill in for this because I've thought that Coelho's art is like good but didn't quite fit with what I want from a Fantastic Four book. That's not a criticism of his work because I did like it. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm reading Fantastic Four. I never thought I'd say it on the show, but here we are. It's amazing. Amazing, Paul. I'm I'm so glad that someone's reading Fantastic Four, you know? Uh, <laughs> Somebody's got to do Nick, it. I guess I will. Exactly. Nick, what's on the top of your pile? Uh, I guess if we're going with the theme of eating popcorn for dinner, mm-hmm. I'm going to discuss Predator <laughs> number one. Is it finally uh, coming out? <laughs> good joke uh <laughs> god for those who who forgot marvel is always obsessed with renumbering and retitling things in such a way that again like future anthropologists and archaeologists will never be able to parse everything together properly so this is predator number one but for those who are keeping score technically marvel already did their first predator series um back in last year Okay. So basically, this is a follow-up to the previous Predator miniseries, which launched in August 2022. That was the one that was also originally called Predator, and then got renamed Predator Day of the Hunter, and this follow-up arc is just being called Predator. Because again, Marvel likes to make it so anything is completely, like, nothing will ever be properly figured out, like, 50, 100 years from now. People will be like, oh, Predator came first. No, no. No, it didn't. You have to subscribe to MU to understand the chronology. That's what they're... they're... <laughs> you have to navigate their website to properly right. understand. Yes. Right. Uh, so this is written by Ed Brisson and art by Netho Diaz. So with it's interesting to kind of compare it to their Alien franchise because with that, Marvel opted to carry over their creative team between the first and second arcs and then tell a completely different like anthology style story. But with Predator, uh, you still have Brisson on art but Kev Walk, sorry, you still have Brisson on writing, but Kev Walker is no longer drawing the book, mm. which I mean, kind of disappointed. I did like Walker on our duties. I wasn't familiar with Diaz, but apparently he drew Legion of X 8 through 10 from last year, written by Cy Spurrier. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that rings a bell for anybody oh, yeah, else, I, but it, it does for me, man. I mean, that's like my, my go to X Men book. Art's good, good stuff. Yeah. As far as I can say, I mean, I mean, the the plot is like there's essentially like two Predator plots, right? There's like seven. There's like seven original like narratives, right? Or whatever. And Shakespeare wrote them all, right? But there's only two Predator plots, right? There's the one where Predator murders everyone. And then there's the second one, which is where people think they're clever. And they're like, ooh, what if the Predator is the prey? And it's like, okay. Sure. And then at one point they even went as so far as to name the movie Prey. So clearly, I think at that point the the joke or the the conceit was completely off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but it says uh, the solicit for this is on a planet far from Earth. Eight strangers find themselves in a deadly game, aka that's the movie Predators. But this time the Predators aren't the only ones on the hunt. Someone has the oh god, how do you say this? Yahucha, yeah, yeah, Yautja. It's it's like the formal, you know alien name for predator all, all all predator all predator heads know what i'm talking about here <laughs> according to the uh, predator fandom wiki it says yeah. yaucha exactly okay uh 
So someone has them in their sights, and they've been searching for this game preserve for a long time. Uh, Ed Brisson and Neto Diaz kick off an explosive new series that will turn everything you thought you knew about Predators on its head. Yeah, should be interesting. I did a little research uh, for people who have been reading this book, which is me and roughly 12 other people. Yeah. It looks like the main character from the first series is back, which um, I'm kind of okay about. I'm I'm kind of okay with that. I think that um, whereas Alien, I think anthology-wise, it can sort of stand on its own. I think Predator sometimes really needs some carryover continuity to drag people along. I don't know. I mean, I think having the title Predator on it will get people to show up, right? If you want <laughs> people that want Predator are going to read Predator, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... <laughs> Well, Nick, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this. I'm sure that I will eventually get bullied into buying this by you, but I'm okay with that because I find Predator stories to be pretty interesting, just like I I find the Alien stories to be interesting. It's just not my, like, number one go-to franchise. So excited to hear what you think about this. Plus, Ed Brisson's done a good job on the previous one, right? So Yeah, yeah. Honestly, he did. I I really actually pretty enjoyed the first one uh, because sometimes it's just, I don't know, like, they're just not always that compelling like you got to get creative to find a new way to dress up the idea that a a weird looking alien with a a glowy staff and a missile you know a shoulder mounted missile launcher killing humans for 45 minutes is you know exciting you gotta (laughs) you gotta find a new way to dress that up right do you i mean mean, that sounds like half my x-men comics right (laughs) (laughs) um let me let me talk about some of the folks that are hanging out with us live today uh discord uh, thank you so much for hanging with us hugh is reading x-men number 20 um i'm also reading that but it's not on the top of my pile and paul g is reading a book called hauntology Hauntology? Hauntology. I don't know. Um, don't know what that is, but sounds it's got a cool name. Uh, the book that I'm excited for this week is called Black Sheep Number 1. This is written, drawn, colored, lettered by Diego Tripodi. Uh, I saw the cover for this book in my local shop in their previews like page on their managed comics site, and I was like, I got to get this. This looks really cool. Uh, looked into D- Diego Tripodi's art, and the dude does unbelievable just like black and white stuff, really cool color stuff. Um, so it's a story that's supposed to be about honor, approval and protecting your family. It looks like it's going to be a pretty look, pretty looking samurai story, at least. Um, if anything, I'm hoping that the $9.99 cover price for the physical book is like worth it. I'm taking a risk on a book that I've never heard of by a publisher I've never heard of called Lev Gleason Friday Comics, which apparently is like a subset of Lev Gleason Publications, which is founded by Leverett Stone Gleason, who was a publisher of a number of comic books during the 40s and early 50s, including Daredevil Comics, Crime Does Not Pay, and Boy Comics. Hmm. Um, But this looks like Lev Gleason Friday Comics is trying to take that publishing house and actually publish some new indie books. Their big thing on their website is like, we support indie creators. We give them all the creative freedom that they want to tell stories that are really interesting. It feels like they're almost doing what Image does, but just as a different publisher. So I'm excited to see what this is. I don't know how big of a book this is, but at 10 bucks, I'm hoping like it's a three issue series. Maybe it's 100 pages or something like that. We'll see. Um, but I'll, I'll report back. Otherwise, it's just X-Men books and all that other normal comic book stuff <laughs> that I'm reading this week. But yeah, let's let's take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to probably talk for a little bit about uh, this Nuff Set <laughs> event. It's going to be a whole thing. And talk about the Marvel Unlimited app and website. We all have a lot of thoughts. So we'll be back in just a second. <laughs> Thank you. 
before we get to the second half of the show, I want to tell you folks about a Kickstarter that I'm really excited about. Opinions May Vary presents the Starwell Foundation, an all-new comic book audio drama from the team that brought you over 450 episodes of the OMV podcast since 2012. It's a good versus evil tale with heart, humor, and action in equal measure. You'll meet both heroes and villains that have yet to be seen before. The show has six episodes between 20 and 30 minutes featuring incredible actors and stories that will take you on an adventure of twists and turns. Mary Dare, the newest employee of the Starwell Foundation, is tasked with finding supervillains and convincing them to be kind for a few moments by visiting children in hospitals, inspiring them, and maybe even helping out around Brava City. Help kickstart our adventure in the six-episode comic book audio drama The Starwell Foundation Season 1. The Kickstarter is fully funded and working on stretch goals right now. Check out the original two-episode pilot season on omvpodcast.com and join the Kickstarter by clicking the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. For today's episode, we are talking about the Nuff Said hard quote event moment at Marvel Comics. It was in 2002. Um, For those of you who maybe don't know, this idea came from Marvel president Bill Jemis and editor-in-chief at the time, Joe Quesada. They hatched this test for all of the, quote, mighty Marvel maestros. I'm reading off the back of the trade paperback. Since you're the best artists and writers in the biz, we challenge you to tell a story using visuals only. Apparently, this was inspired by a G.I. Joe issue, A Real American Hero, number 21, as a popular silent issue from 1984, and it was further propelled by the debate over who is more needed in comics to tell a story, the writer or the artist. You can write a novel without an artist, but the artist is essential part of the process according to comic vine so when quesada came up with the idea in 2002 he was saying okay artists let's see what you've got some had better success than others again this is coming from comic vine but it was an interesting experience um i did google how i wanted to see this gi joe issue just to kind of get a feel of what inspired quesada and Jemis to say let's do this um but apparently the only way you can get it according to amazon is for paying 159.59 for the physical copy of the book that was published in 1984. So I don't know. But for this issue or for this episode today, Paul and Nick and I all try to share a couple of books from this Nuff Said business. Um, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, Number 39, written by J. Michael Straczynski, art by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Dan Kemp, letters by Wes Abbott, and then Punisher Volume 6, Number 7. This is written and drawn by Steve Dillon with inks by Jimmy Palmiotti. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty crazy there. Um, but yeah, so we read those two books and then we each picked our own. So I guess, Paul, you came into this very last minute. We had some <laughs> scheduling changes. I guess, yeah. what what is your thought going into this? I like this idea. I think it's a really cool experiment. I like when issues do do this because I've seen other comics that do have like a, maybe a one-off issue that is silent. Uh, there was yeah. an issue of Fantastic Four going back to that, that um, Hickman did. Uh, I think Nick Dragato was the artist on that. And it's like right after Johnny Storm died, it's all silent. Great as a standalone thing. When it feels like editorially mandated, it may not be as interesting. When it fits a story, (laughs) I think it works. (laughs) Totally. Uh, Very brief, I will say one of the things I did read, and I kind of forgot about it, was the new X-Men issue on issue 121 as a part of this. It works. Because I'd read this when I'd read through Morrison's X-Men a few years ago. And I didn't even know it was part of this quote unquote event. And uh, it totally works on its own as part of the narrative. There's a reason Morrison gives a narrative requirement for the issue to be silent, quote unquote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that totally works. Um, so the the issues here that we read together, I don't think were as successful as those examples. Because again, they kind of felt sure. more editorially mandated. I liked the Spider-Man issue. I do like that Straczynski finds a loophole 
in that there's no dialogue, <laughs> but he managed to fit in a lot of writing at one point. Uh, right, right, right. like writing an angry email to somebody. So multiple emails. It's <laughs> multiple so emails. it's it's so garbage. All right, well, I, I'll, I'll save my it. thoughts. I'll save no, my thoughts. No, no, Mike. Well, it, I, I, it was it's so garbage. I mean. I like and dislike J. Michael Straczynski as a writer, right? I think he's mm-hmm. done some incredible work. I think he's done some absolute dog shit work. But like when you are a prolific writer who has written for comics for 30 plus years, that's kind of the run of the mill, right? Like yeah. you, whether you're Grant Morrison, Jeff Lemire, J. Michael Straczynski, whoever, everybody's going to have this happen. I'm throwing your faves at there. Not everyone's perfect, okay? <laughs> um, but still, this issue is so goofy in yeah. that it is simply supposed to be like the outsiders, like Mary Jane and... And, and Aunt May, and somehow Aunt May gets to have all this dialogue, but it's not dialogue because it's written down on a piece right. of paper. It's not dialogue because <laughs> it's written in an email. Like you could have just given me a piece of paper and said Aunt May does this, and I'd get the same exact feeling out of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, John John Arita Jr.'s art is it's better than his more modern art, if you, if you ask me. Um, but he still looks like he's drawing Muppets. So like I don't know. I got a whole. <laughs> huh, it was a weird issue because like I didn't like didn't dislike it, but I also was yeah. like you you cheater you fucking absolute cheater <laughs> <laughs> there there are moments that i do really like i think the first few pages when it is just like mary jane waking up in an empty bed yeah again yeah. I, I wasn't reading i didn't read the issues leading up to this so i don't know what happened to peter parker or like where spider-man is but it's a sense that he's not there there's a sense of loneliness that is pre- conveyed in the artwork i do think john Romita jr like does some interesting stuff he might not be the most uh the best choice for a lot of like nuanced facial expressions in the artwork, but <laughs> those quiet <laughs> moments with Mary Jane, I think were really well done. Yeah. I do have to say like, it did remind me of that famous page that uh, Jack and Stan did. It's a Captain America comic. I think it's tales of suspense number 85. Cause I did look it up. Mm-hmm. There's like one page where it's Captain America fighting Batrock the leaper. And it's amazing. Like it's a nine panel grid. Jack Kirby does yeah. awesome fight. And of course, uh, Stan can't help him. He, Stan lets the art speak for himself itself, but he can't help himself. He'd say like, I'm going to shut up for a minute. Let Jack show you what he can do. And it's like, it makes it such a showy thing of it being him being <laughs> yeah. quiet is kind of the vibe I got with Straczynski, like throwing in the the emails there. Right. You know, in that issue. Str- Straczynski didn't appreciate the, the idea of, do we even need writers? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Maybe well, his letterer was like, look, I got to eat this month. You got to give me some work. <laughs> totally okay well that that brings us to another point but like you know paul glad to hear your thoughts and before we get into the punisher issue that we all read nick i threw you in the deep end with this um danny and i were like yeah let's do this because danny was originally on the episode (laughs) and then nick how did what was your approach to this what were your thoughts going into it yeah i mean i i think it would be fair to maybe just give people like a a peek behind the curtain sure, here of sure. um of of how this this played out in in real time this is the you know this is just the uh so i just want to briefly share uh one or two chat messages that precipitated this event Uh-oh. um because i think this explains things pretty well mike says "Ooh, what if we did a deep dive on nuff said stuff danny then proceeds to thumb up mike's post and then i say wait what the heck is Nuff said? Mike says, perfect, all caps. <laughs> Danny says, awesome. <laughs> Listen, I think the the vibe we were going with, with is Nick doesn't know anything about this. That's, exactly. that's a great topic to bring perfect. him in on. So, yeah. so, so Nick, having yeah. ha, given that you didn't know anything about this, yeah. what did you think? <laughs> I guess and yeah, if you can like, leave your you know comments to just the Amazing Spider-Man now, and then we'll, we'll talk about the other sure. comics later. 
Yeah, I mean, this was like so out of my comfort zone in so many different ways. Not only the fact that it's Marvel, but it's Marvel from two decades ago. And on top of that, it's Marvel from two decades ago with no text. Mm -hmm. So even people who I think read Marvel then, or even I think people who read Marvel now, um, are going back and feeling a sense of disorientation with these issues, and I am just like, what the, f- what the fuck is going on with this book? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, Spider Man, I was like, oh, thank God! Like at least Spider Man, I feel like if we do this issue, there will be some touchstones that I'm familiar with. It's not like they're making me read like the third X Men book that was coming out at the time, right. where it's like all about havoc or something. And I'm like, oh my fucking god. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been yeah I mean, it would have been fun but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it would have been fun but like i don't think I, I feel like i needed at least some touchstones to be like this is weird or stupid mm-hmm. or be like i don't understand what's going on you know but uh yeah I, I i think paul hit on a good point which is that you can tell that junior junior is used to drawing a man wearing a mask mm-hmm. for the majority of this book <laughs> and now he's having to draw issues of people with human faces uh-huh. and maybe that doesn't quite work as well um but i also agree with paul that it, i actually am, i i would take this over the you know when junior junior went to dc in like the mid 2010s and everyone's like oh man like we've done it we've done it the ultimate coup we have got john ramita jr and, and I'm bendis like, yeah and bendis yeah. and i'm like oh okay um can we send them back for like a fifth round draft pick and you know <laughs> i don't know also yeah i mean it's it's also interesting to look at this book obviously in the context of of post 9-11 right mm-hmm. yeah so i think this issue was like october maybe october uh, of or maybe like 20, 2002 2002 right. though okay. i think yeah. Oh, okay. We're a yeah, year, yeah, yeah. Year out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought it was interesting because in one scene, um, as we follow Mary Jane throughout her day, uh, she, you know, gets up, gets dressed, goes to a modeling gig, goes and has lunch afterwards, uh, during which she's got like an FDNY hat on. Mm-hmm. And it like like it definitely felt like that was sort of a obviously like a 9-11 thing. Um I mean, maybe I'm just imagining this. I don't know if this is a Mandela effect thing, but I think it certainly felt like in the immediate year or two following 9-11, like, and, you know, NYPD, FDNY hats, you sort of like saw them on a lot of celebrities. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And high profile figures. And just seeing the hat, I was like, it sort of like flashed me back to that. And I was like, yeah, wasn't everybody kind of wearing these at the time i think for for obvious reasons right but it was still kind of like be shimmy yeah 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 well and also <laughs> like i again i know so jack shit about marvel that i was like does mary jane have like a fire department connection or is this just like a because like i don't fucking know <laughs> yeah i was like is this like a post 9 11 thing or is this like a a character lore element that i just don't know about <laughs> um yeah yeah i don't know also, Junior Junior's webbing is so lackluster. It looks like, it looks like the like Charlie Brown's like the cord that he holds his kite on when he like you know has his kite. Yeah, like that's what Junior Junior's webbing looks like. And maybe we've all been spoiled by whatever you want to call that sheer insanity that Todd McFarlane <laughs> does. But those are the but, extremes, um, though, right? Like yeah. there's the Todd McFarlane, it, like are, yeah, millions right? of strands of webbing, and then there's the J. Rod, J John Romita Jr. like right. single line on the paper. Yeah. You know, I get that. Yeah. But so I guess like 
so you were a little flabbergasted i guess going into this right like <laughs> yeah okay okay that's that's kind of i expected that i kind yeah. of expected that i mean i thought this was an interesting idea because one i remember this being stamped on covers not that i was reading monthly books at the time but i remember paging through like extreme x-men and new x-men for instance mm-hmm. and seeing those covers that say enough set on them and being like what the hell is that and then like not even thinking about it because the the two x-men books the silent issues actually made sense chris claremont mm-hmm. was able to write a book that i enjoyed and it didn't have any dialogue <laughs> um and grant morrison also was able to do that and like paul said they made sense in the context of the story and you could tell that some of these writers were able to adapt this idea better right like the amazing spider-man issue i think despite j michael straczynski getting around it i understand the silence actually just working in the story right like people going about their day despite Mm -hmm. what comic books may make us think don't just sit there and talk to themselves right (laughs) and usually a book like this would probably be accompanied with captions right of just like and i'm gonna go to work and blah 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 where's peter you know like all that stuff would be in there but the fact that it's not there means that the story is still effective without all that extra stuff maybe stan could have taken a fucking step back a little bit and just (laughs) let you know Kirby do his work yeah so I I found that to be interesting you know despite that and the other issue that we read for this was the Punisher right so we read a Punisher issue that was written and drawn by Steve Dillon Mm -hmm. which if you've been reading comics for a long time you probably know Steve Dillon and has had that definitive run with various creators on the Punisher because he just seems to like drawing a dude killing other dudes and that's as as simple as it is right Um, personally I felt like this issue was actually really effective right it is in my mind a quintessential Punisher story like it describes everything you need to know about the character maybe this is me going in with a lot of context so maybe it just feels that way but I think you get this idea of a guy who's hunting down bad guys and despite all the work that he does to hunt down bad guys the wrong person gets killed, right? right? He still, he kills all the bad guys and it's not about the Punisher's vigilantism. It's about the misuse of power among the people who wield it within our society. And I'm like, damn we're, we were able to tell stories like this in 2002 you know i think yeah <laughs> like it, it, seriously right if we're talking about uh, yeah. this 9-11 context right yeah it's, it's crazy yeah. to think that there's still a story that is about a police officer killing a black kid because he wasn't he was scared of the of the kid mm-hmm. which is crazy to think steve dylan's coming out with that like fists raised to tell that story it's wild yeah. um and again i think that that is what this issue is all about is you know the punisher sees that the police are not able to track down this this villain whatever the person's doing he has to go and talk to him and do all this other stuff and he ends up killing all the right people that are that deserve it but the person that gets killed at the end of the issue is the person that didn't and it's yeah. like damn the punisher still has work to do you know it, it's surprisingly good yeah again it's uh it captures a particular vibe like the spider-man one i thought the sense of in the Spider-Man issue, they did a good job getting you the idea like Peter Parker's missing. That's why everyone's kind of like going about their day. This one, mm-hmm. it's like, it basically is like, I've read very little Punisher comics, but I got the sense of who the character was, what they're doing. You know, they're tracking down some mob boss. And the way Steve Dillon paces the issue, you get, again, the Michael Myers vibe where just like Frank Castle is unstoppable. He doesn't have yeah. to like do anything outrageous. He doesn't really do much, much of the issue. You just kind of see his face scowling at people, and that's enough. He like slowly is walking mm-hmm. around. There's not really much action at all, and it totally fits the vibe of the character. Mm-hmm. I recently read a bunch of like Judge Dredd comics that Steve Dillon drew, so it makes sense oh. that this is kind of a parallel to that. The sense of like power being used in that way, and the way he draws the character of the Punisher and uh, Judge Dredd is very similar. Of course, those issues have a lot of dialogue. 
but I got the very similar vibe from the artwork of what he's doing here from those issues. Yeah. Nick, what'd you think of this issue? Yeah. Like Paul, my, uh, Punisher knowledge bank is, is not really, um, you know, stuffed to the gills with, with lore. Um, so (laughs) I mean, I, I think that said, I think this issue still works really well because I think the most, you know, commonly known elements about the Punisher, AKA, you know, this silent stoic guy, you know, he's got the kind of trench coat. He's got a lot of guns. Um, he has a penchant for violence, mm-hmm. um, and a real directness with how he does things like, yeah, you know, Punisher bingo, check off all the squares. It's all there. <laughs> yeah. And I think because, um, there are really just three or four touch points with Punisher. Um, and because he's kind of this silent stoic actions first character, I think obviously this book was already in a pretty good position before it was even written, just in terms of the characters used and the themes involved before the, before the issue was already written. I think that this was going to be a much easier job than say um, the Spider-Man issue, because even with the Spider-Man issue, you're like, okay, so Mary Jane's in it. What's his, what's her relationship with Peter in this? Mm-hmm. Because you mm-hmm. never really know, like, where's their relationship currently at? Where do they stand? You know, I think at one point, uh, Aunt May says that like Peter did something unforgivable and she's trying to forgive him. And it's like, well, okay, where does their relationship stand? And you're like, okay, like I've got to work my way through all of those little things first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but with this is just like, here's a dude and you know, he's always going to go kill people. And, and, and that's what happens. And, you know, to your point, I think, you know, the ending of this issue is so shocking and so jarring that as you got at, I think, especially so immediately following 9-11, um, and then also just from being 20 years ago, I think the messaging is pretty pretty modern, honestly, in terms of um, kind of this, this, this take, mean, <laughs> this approach, this stance on things. But of course, right. I, the yeah, Punisher's the always been anti-cop. I mean, right? is this like, a modern? Is this a modern story? Absolutely not. Like this is a this is proof that this is a pervasive issue, right? Like the well, police yeah. brutality yes. has been a thing in America for decades, right? And I well, it's been a thing forever, right? right. But in terms of like brazenly putting it on the page, sure, sure. sure. Would I see something like this now, or would I see something like this twenty years ago? Sure not even taking 9-11 into consideration where it's like, yeah, like this is how you have to think. This is how you have to feel. This is how you feel about America and you better. Um, what, what was the, the George W thing? You know, you're with us or you're with the terrorists. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like it's, uh, it was, it was really shocking to me to, to see all of that given the context of when it came out. Totally. Um, and that's uh, it's, 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 it's bold, honestly. It almost makes me wonder if maybe this issue was drawn months before and then oh, the yeah. timing was just... Yeah. Well, the thing about this is that, like, this issue came out in 2002. I think this, is, this all these books came out in, like, October of 2002, right? And this is actually a one-off issue, right? It Clearly, yeah. the story kind of begins and ends here, and it actually takes place between two story arcs written by totally different creative teams and drawn by completely different creative teams. Interesting. So, like... Yeah. Marvel mm. must have commissioned this issue from Dylan to be like, hey, we need a silent Punisher issue. Like, do do what Punisher does best. You know the character, right? Yeah, uh, that's interesting. And here we are, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know the timeline on Steve Dillon off the top of my head in terms of like when he worked on the Punisher, but I think he had done issues before this issue and he would continue to do issues later with Garth Ennis, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought this was really effective. Like I said, as a standalone story, you can kind of pick up and just enjoy it as as itself. If you if Punisher's your jam, this is kind of a perfect Punisher story. Yeah. Yeah, just just quick a quick Google. Um, I saw that he was the main artist. This came out in December of 2011. Just looked. So it was like literally right after. Oh, 2001? You know. 2001, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, wow. sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I December mean, 2001. I see that he, yeah, he had done a run on Punisher in 2000 and then did a run later in 2001 onwards. So like, yeah. Um, anyways, but I guess beyond this, <laughs> these two issues that we read together, curious yeah. to know what other issues did you guys pick up out of the, I think there was like 24 other issues that we had the options for. I, sure. I read a Thor issue and a spider girl issue, but I'll save my thoughts. <laughs> um, I guess, Paul, what, what was one of the books that you read? Uh, one that I thought worked really well. And I'd never read before. Cause I'd read the new X-Men issue. I mentioned earlier, I'd read that before, but the one that was new to me and I totally delivered, as like an experiment was Fantastic Four Volume Three Number Fifty. Okay, I guess I'm very Fantastic Four focused this episode. That's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> written by Carlos Pacheco <laughs> and Raphael Marin, uh, art by Tom Grummet and inks by Scott Coblish. This was very effective. It's an anniversary issue, so it's oversized. They get a little more space to work with, and because nice. it's an anniversary issue, a lot of it was flashbacks. Um, the it opens up with. <laughs> Reed Richards building this fantabulous machine, this giant mechanical marvel that basically just makes breakfast for the rest of the team. And sure. Perfect. Uh, Modern then, day Rube Goldberg machine, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite the Pee Wee's Big Adventure style, but, you know, uh, fantastical nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the rest of the team kind of goes about their day. And throughout the day, they sort of reminisce about the first time that they were, the first time they had powers. Like the, because it's the anniversary of the team's first appearance. They're kind of reminiscing about the early days of the of Fantastic Four as individuals. You know, Ben remembers being chased by a mob because he looks like a monster. Uh, Sue mm-hmm. remembers being an actress and there's some peeping Toms trying to peek on her. So she uses her visibility to, to avoid them and get back at them. And then oh, Johnny, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Johnny remembers like accidentally causing a, a fire when he's playing around with his powers and he has to rescue some kids from it. So, and those, those are all done in sepia tone, so you kind of tell that they are memories and flashbacks. But what's really effective about it is throughout the issue, there's a repeated sound effect, a T-A-K, tech, tech, tech. Like, they hear it at different points, and different things will make that sound. And then there's a, and spoilers for a 20-year-old comic, there's this beautiful, like, double-page spread where it, they all remember being bombarded by cosmic rays, and the Geiger counter is making that same sound. So it ties it all together. It's a really effective use of, it's not dialogue, it's a sound effect in a quote-unquote silent issue. And of course, the last page is Dr. Doom sitting on his throne, tapping his finger, making the same sound. So as a standalone Fantastic Four issue, it's really, really good. I think this has worked best of any of the ones I read for this episode. Nice. And there are some backup stories because it's an oversized anniversary issue, and those have a lot of dialogue. So I didn't read those for this. But yeah, I, I think of any of them, I would highly recommend this one. Interesting. I was I was almost gonna read a Fantastic okay. Four issue just to yeah. try it. Um, man, I think I might have to go back and grab that with our, good. our fun little Marvel Unlimited subscription, which <laughs> we will we'll talk about later. But uh, that's that's good to know. I'm again, I'm glad that like some of these worked because definitely there are enough that didn't work. I think based <laughs> off of some of the feedback. I- 
from everybody here, uh, yeah. including some of Danny's notes. So, uh, Nick, what else did you read for this? So I read <clears throat> both the Daredevil and Elektra issues. Nice. Both written by Bendis. Uh, but I do want to specifically highlight uh, Daredevil number 28, written by Bendis. Art by Alex Maleev. Colors by Matt Hollingsworth. Ooh, ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, ooh, yep, that's yep, yep, yep. That's, that's the good run. That's the real good Daredevil run, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the main reason I, I sort of kind of went with this issue is just that the art was was pretty fantastic. And unlike some of the other ones that I picked up, uh, this, this issue actually had a quote-unquote previously in Daredevil <laughs> page. And I was like, oh, thank God. There's a primer page. <laughs> We're saved. Yes. Thank God. Here we yeah. go. And then it goes through this whole thing, and it's like, oh, by the way, uh, Kingpin was recently blinded and stabbed and left for dead by some dude called Mr. Silk. Sure. Um, and and you're like, oh, thank God. Like, at least I'll know what's going on. And then Kingpin isn't in the silent issue at all, and <laughs> nor is this Silk guy. <laughs> so you're like, oh, man, I'm going to know what's happening. And then it doesn't focus on that mm-hmm. at all. And it follows uh, Matt Murdock getting this note um, that basically warns him that there's an open bounty on his head and it's signed with this symbol that looks like a sigh turned on its side. So it's, I guess it's an E and I was like, like, just, just write out your whole name, Electra. <laughs> like, we don't need this. Cause like, I was of course like, I think this is Electra. I'm not sure. <laughs> and that was confirmed in the back of the issue where you do get a certain amount of the scripting of the issue by Bendis. Gotcha. Um, apparently all of the Nuff Said issues had this, but based on the ones I read, not all of them included the script in the back. Right. In the digital okay. edition, at least. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so the issue basically, <laughs> hilariously enough, I mean, if you're going to steal, you steal from the best. And I guess if maybe you think you're the best, you steal from yourself because both of the both the Electra and the Daredevil issues follow a plot. Someone leaving a note for Matt Murdock that there's an open bounty on his head, um, and then it follows up with an assassin showing up, followed by a roof tie a rooftop um, fight. Okay, in, in in both issues, and that's basically the issue. Uh, that said, uh, I I thought this one was really, really well done. You end up having this guy who's following him with a sniper rifle. So you get a lot of these interesting shots with, you know, the reticle, mm-hmm. the sniper scope, mm-hmm. and you see him trying to, like, get Matt in his sights. And then eventually, you know, you see Matt jump right in front of the sniper rifle and it turns into, like, a close combat fight. And um, honestly, like, it's a really good showcase for Maliv's art. I think he has such a really good handle on anatomy. Totally. And I think that because of that, um, you get a really great, um, you know, his his sense of, like, Daredevil's, his handling of Daredevil's acrobatics is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think you have, just have to have the right person on this book in order to really capture the essence of, like, how fluid his movement is. Totally. And I thought that was really, really done, really, really done really well here. And honestly, Maliv's art looks great. It really, really does. And I think obviously with certain artists, you look back 20 years and you're like, "Mm, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on here. Or maybe they haven't really grown to where they are now. Or maybe this is just like the result of, you know, older printing techniques or older um, like software programs used for drawing and things like that and whatnot. But, um, and and I would obviously say Maliv, has grown since then, but his artwork and his style at the time was still like 
so strong. Like, so he was already right in his wheelhouse. And yeah. I, I think that that's, you know, I mean, I remember ever... this being like the hottest daredevil book mm-hmm. at the time, right? Yeah. Like I wasn't reading it like because I was reading everything else that I could get my hands on, but I did eventually go back and reread large chunks of this book because I wanted to figure out like, Bendis ends up handing things off to Brubaker, who was like left with Daredevil in jail. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah. and then and the Brubaker ends the series with like handing off to Andy Diggle with, okay, now Daredevil owns the hand. I love that, like, all right, your challenge. Here's the challenge. I left the story plot for you, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Um, but I remember Maliv's art just being like, I didn't think this was possible in comics at the time. You know, in 2001, like Maliv as an artist is crazy when you compare to some of the other artists that we read for this, right? Like it's it's unbelievable with, with maybe the exception of uh uh steve dylan whose art somehow looks the same in 2001 as it did in 2020 when like or or whatever his last runs on punisher was before yeah, he yeah. passed away like it still looks the same and i love it yeah <laughs> um but i'm glad you heard yeah. that because I, I you know i figured like again these are like the top tier books that i think some of us checked out here yeah yeah it was it was really something and i think he when I was navigating to this, I think I saw that uh, David Mack was on the book before him, yeah. I believe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, like, like I can only imagine at the time, like, after you've been, you know, dealing with Mack and you're like, oh, my God, like, who can, who will follow right. this? And it's like, whoever it is, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> and then it's like, apparently not. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is interesting that Daredevil just has an there's just been a real preponderance of um, just overwhelming artistic talent on this book. Yeah. I don't know what it is about Daredevil that just attracts. I don't know if it's just the fluidity of the book or if people just uh, have their own take, but it seems like there's just this weird uh, artists really want to take a crack at that yeah. book. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, Daredevil is like a really underdog character, I think for a long time, especially around this time. Right. So, I, I have a feeling that Marvel was more willing to put take risks with artists like Maliv or David Mack who don't really fit the vibe of what is not really a house style for Marvel, but it is a specific comic book style. For sure. Maliv yeah. and David Mack do not fit that, I don't think, by no. any means. Um, well, it's also interesting to think about this book relative to the fact that, you know, the movie is like a year away at this point as well. <laughs> well, so. you know. We yeah. don't talk about that. That's not. <laughs> oh things boy. were very, very separated I, at that point. You got to remember, yeah. Nick. Very, very separated. Some, some of us, some of us think that that movie was um, okay. okay. All right, we'll, uh, we'll move on. Uh, so I read Thor <laughs> Volume Two, Number Forty Four. Um, I just want to squeeze this in before we get into our bits and pieces about Marvel Unlimited because we did read all of these issues through Marvel Unlimited, um, for better or for worse. But I read Thor Volume er, Volume Two, Number Forty Four. This is by Dan Jurgens on writing and pencils by Stuart Immonen. So it's a good looking book, yeah. right? Wow. Um, it feels very like clunky. It doesn't really look like Stuart Immonen's art that you would expect from like later issues or later work that he's done. Mm-hmm. But it's still a good looking book, and it mostly follows Thor dealing with the death of Odin. I don't know the context of what happens. I didn't get it previously on. Um, all I know is that Thor is clearly in some sort of depression. Um, I unfortunately picked two books where someone had just recently died. So it was just like, everyone's quiet because someone died. And I'm like, what a cop out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, apparently I was very mad about all these books. But this is a this is a pretty good issue as you follow Thor basically refusing to take up the mantle of the Allfather, right? He doesn't want to accept that Thor or that Odin has died. And he basically spends the issue kind of wallowing, avoiding everybody. Um, you get to you check in with the Warriors 3. You check in with, with his mom. You check in with Loki for a moment, who's like off 
off being a villain, but still being sad about Odin dying. And the issue ends with this really beautiful take on Odin's helmet. Like, I don't really know the context of Thor at this period of time in, in Marvel's history, but Odin's helmet is not just like a cool helmet. It's like a Galactus style helmet. So when he puts it on, it's this technicolor magistry thing that he puts on his head. And it looks so cool. The moment when he finally sits down on the throne, um, it's a, it's a wonderful issue, like from beginning to end, but having no context, you're kind of just like, all right, I guess like Odin died. That's very clear. I don't know what else is going on, but this is clearly Thor. These are clearly characters that I know. But I think if you didn't have any, if you had no history with Thor, you would maybe have been a little lost. But then the ending few pages are just like beautiful. And you're like, all right, this is this is a pretty cool looking comic book. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't the best compared to what I'm hearing from the other ones. And I think like that Punisher issue is always going to be the top tier for me of what I read. But uh, sure. it was good. It's better than the Spider Girl issue that I read. Spider Girl forty one, and all I can say is I had no context and I was super lost. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> Spider Girl as a character is still an anomaly and unknown to me. And then reading this issue, I was like, oh boy, I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> it's very weird. But uh, yeah, so I guess you guys maybe read some other things. Maybe want to touch on that. But like, I also want to touch on real quick before we wrap thoughts on Marvel Unlimited. We we got a subscription for the show specifically. We're not sharing it. Only I'm using it for legal purposes. Um, but we got. <laughs> <laughs> a, a subscription for the show so we all were trying to read through it i know nick you had some problems i had to, to get that amazing spider-man issue link i had to literally manually go back in the backlog of marvel's search history like 20 pages to find amazing spider-man number what was it 39 um it was a mess to just try to get that um what was your experience in reading this was it easy was it complicated thoughts on the reader i'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts here um i mean I think it sort of captures whatever that like Hulk rage feeling is before he transforms. So nice. if you if if you want to know what that's like, uh, if you want to know what it's like to like physically feel your blood pressure raise, um, you know, to a level that you maybe haven't felt in a while, trying to navigate the site is unbelievable it's it's so bad it's so bad it's so resoundingly bad and eventually i ended up at reddit because you'd think someone on reddit has a had this problem and b um found a solution and the reddit answer was you've got to google the issues <laughs> right and then you'll get the hyperlink you know you'll get the link in the search results God. And, and 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 first off, for a couple books, that worked. But like, how fucked is your site when people are telling you that you need to go use Google as a middleman to sort through the crap and direct link to where you need to go? Like, that is something I was doing in like 2000. And I mean, maybe that's a great flashback for this for these yeah. enough said books. Yeah. But this was something I was doing in <laughs> 2002, where sites couldn't get their shit together. It was and I had to go on Google to link directly in. Sure. Um, it was a it was a it was the the, the whole experience was a blast to the past. So <laughs> I mean, um, Okay, well, Paul, yeah, I guess you know, what was your experience with well, this before Nick has like an aneurysm over there? I didn't think it was that bad. I'm only experiencing what I just felt yeah. yesterday on Marvel, okay. so this is a pretty familiar feeling okay. at this okay. point. Okay. I, I didn't think it was that bad. I was using the, the desktop site. Um, I don't okay. like... The big thing for me is I wasn't a fan of reading the comics on my 
on my desktop. But sure, um, sure. using those site, I initially just tried to, I'll just, you know, I'll just search uh, Punisher number seven to look that up. Well, of course, it's Punisher volume six, number seven, not to mention all the volumes that have happened since then, which I yeah. mean makes yeah. my argument for legacy numbering being the preferred numbering uh, maybe more appealing. Sure. But, you know, at a certain point, I realized you can kind of scroll down and just view all series. And if you just click on like F, it'll bring up all the titles. Series start with F. You go down to Fantastic Four. That volume started in 19, what, 80, 98 or whatever, 97. Click on that, issue 50. So once I figured that out, it wasn't too bad. But I couldn't imagine, sure. you know, navigating it any other way. Yeah. It's funky because like we as comic book aficionados comic book people who are like in this the shit all the time mm-hmm. like for us to go oh yeah the 9098 you know I, I had the fandom wiki available like but if, right. if i were on the street i was just you know mike raffin that's my that's my author name it's he's a different guy but he's very similar to me <laughs> if i was on the street and someone said hey you should read this nuff said issue you should you know it's fantastic four number 48 or whatever we want it to be and then i went to go google it myself or find it on marvel site myself I think I would have given up. I think I would be, I wouldn't have even tried to find it. Right. So <laughs> I think the thing that's, that's funny about this is like Marvel clearly has given up trying to appeal to all people, even though their website definitely does feel like they're trying to, they're like, if you search black Panther, we're going to give you the, the comic book. We're going to give you the movie. We're going to give you the TV show insert, all these things, right. like all the events. We did like a Pokemon trade giveaway with black Panther on the back of the card or something. All this stuff comes up when you do a search and then you have to like filter by comics and then you can do a filter or do a different search. Um, it's kind of a mess, but I, I don't know. Maybe they don't expect your average reader to show up to this or not average reader, your non initiated reader someone who's not already like digging into this stuff um to go to their site to try to use marvel unlimited because clearly i mean like i think from the conversations we've talked with people on the discord and just like among our group ourselves like we're all pretty entrenched in a lot of this stuff i mean we are quote unquote regular comic fans but at the same time we are like very much aware that the system is broken and so we expect these hurdles that we have to jump versus i think a lot of people like would just just give up and say i'm not i'm not gonna do that sorry dude like that's way too much work for me to read a 23 pages of a comic you know yeah is is poor user interface the worst form of gatekeeping we have in comics I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's like Ooh. comics gate and right. poor user interface. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it definitely feels like, especially if you go to the main page for Marvel Unlimited, it feels like that they think their user base is primarily um, people who are our current readers, you know, sure. ones that are are largely up to date. And certainly when you look at, like I said, their main page and what's there and they're like, here's the latest books or whatever. Like it really feels like they've tapped into that being their market. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, the changes they've done recently, especially when they went from being, you know, six month delay to a three month delay. And now you can have a one month delay. It definitely feels like that's what they're leaning into, that that's kind of the, the market that they want to tap into sure. is, is 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 digital readers but digital readers that also want to remain mostly current yeah and so if if you're following that i think obviously it's a very easy way to navigate and keep on you know on top of your books but if you're looking for old shit good luck especially because and of course this doesn't help marvel it certainly wouldn't help dc in the similar standpoint 
you know, when you say Punisher number nine, how how many pun? You know, for example, well, we had at least how seven many volumes by the time yeah. we got to two thousand one. So exactly. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Like when you say like Superman forty two, how many Superman forty twos have there been? Yeah, right. Yeah. So you gotta know that you gotta put the at least. And sometimes you can put the the year at the end in parentheticals when the run began. And, yeah. and that helped me once or twice. But obviously it doesn't help. The fact that Marvel has the system, is all, it's already fucked. But the fact that they've chosen to number and structure their issues the way that they've chosen to number and structure their issues in the past, like f- fucked them over, you know, umpteen times more. So this, this this goes towards Paul's legacy numbering thing, though, right? See? So yeah, so easy. You know, legacy numbering is the is the solution. That, that's it. The end. Yep. Sorry, everyone. Mini series. <laughs> I, I heard the app experience was slightly better, okay. uh, but it, it, if only because like, it was faster. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe you decide at a certain point that like the 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 deep dive crowd or the reading old stuff crowd is like five percent of your readership or whatever and you just say fuck them i don't know maybe that's what happened maybe not one day we'll get this figured out i promise omnibus is going to come in and save all of us that's what they're promising right i mean is dc this bad i mean both of you have that right or at least paul does does nobody have it i've used it for the show um we have a one of those for the show too and like for a better batmobile it was really easy, but like I was looking for things that had unique names. So I don't know what the like if I search just Batman number nine, what's going to come up? I don't right. really know. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe I mean, this this I think for, for the sake of time today, uh, maybe we'll have to table this discussion of DCU versus Marvel U versus Comicsology Unlimited. That could probably be a big discussion. I'm sure we have enough folks involved that could have that. But I for guess sure. uh, final thoughts. Do you guys have any final thoughts on enough said any any you think it's a successful thing? Did, was it totally awful? Um, I, I'm going to say it's a mixed bag. Again, I, I like sure. it when comics attempt this. I think the visual storytelling aspect is so unique. And I think a good artist with a good story can make something truly special. It doesn't always work. And I think that's maybe the limitation of serialized superhero narratives since we were jumping into issues we had no context for. And if you didn't have that, it was tough to navigate. But like I said, one shining example is that Fantastic Four number 50, which I highly recommend if you want a good Fantastic Four story. So yeah, a mixed bag, but the highs were very high for me. I dig it. Nick, final thoughts? Yeah, I, I think Paul sort of hit the nail on the head to some extent. Really, honestly, um, if if this decision is something at the at the behest of the writer or the artist or the team is like, I think this would be interesting or I want to try this, or I think it suits where the story currently is and where I want to take things, um, I think you can get some really interesting output. When it comes from on high, uh, when it comes from on high and it's hitting this many books, the quality spectrum is just going to be so huge. Totally. That said, I think you had a couple people that felt that they were up to the challenge who maybe had always wanted to do this or they felt that maybe their book was already aligned with this um, sort of arc. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you had a couple. You had a couple solid issues. If anything else, you know, having people experiment from time to time is always is always worthwhile. Yeah, totally. So yeah. Um, well, yeah. I I'm gonna still go back to 
that Punisher issue is solid. I think everybody should read that one too. I think it's a like a good, pretty pretty good distillation of the character, like to understand what's going on. You don't even need words for it, which is really fun. Um, so I guess to wrap things up, uh, thanks Paul and Nick for being on the episode. Thanks Hugh and everybody hanging out with us in the Discord. Thanks Brian for proof listening. Next week's episode is going to be Tia, Kate, and Kate. They're going to spotlight some women creators they think they deserve some eyes. It's Women's History Month. We're going to celebrate it. You can always check us out on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Goodreads. We've got that Twitch stream coming up on March. Uh, 19 I think is the day uh, and it's gonna, it's gonna be a lot of fun 8 p.m. Eastern Standard you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast where you can get access to a better Batmobile season 2 which is coming IRCB movie club we just dropped an episode very recently it's it's a fantastic experience we've got a very cool X-Men specific series coming up in at the end of April so um, keep your eyes peeled for that Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe they do all of our music Xander dwells within that thing where you rub your eyes too hard and you see spots he lives there in the ether I want to say thank you to Nick and Paul for being on this episode thank you to Brian again for proof listening thank you to everyone out there listening if you got this far in the episode we appreciate you and until next time comics are good and so are you Come on.